of what we said our mission statement is, is exalt disciples sin. That's how we kind of take that long kind of phrase and boil it down into what we want to be and do as a church. How many of you guys feel confident you can say exalt disciples sin? There we go. All right, much, much better. Okay, so that's what we kind of we want to uh, think about as a church is how do we exalt or make much of Christ? How do we disciple or reproduce disciples? How do we send people who impact the world and then all this for the glory of God? So last week we looked at the exalt piece, which we said was mainly uh, Christ-centered and gospel-oriented, that the more Christ-centered we could become as a church and the more gospel-oriented we can be as a people, the more we will actually exalt or or make much of Jesus. And so that's what we uh, thought about collectively. Um, and then this week we're looking at uh, disciple and by reproducing disciples, we think that's the main way that you make much of Jesus. Unlike last week, I actually have the sermon slides up this week, all right? And so if you want to look real quick, this is our, uh, our mission statement kind of holistically. Um, boom. <laughs> you like that? That was good, huh? Um, and so that's kind of the big, big, big picture, okay? So there's kind of who we are. Now, if we zoom in to the next slide on the disciple piece, that's what we're going to be looking at today, okay? We think that the way that you uh, uh, make or reproduce disciples are in these three main ways, reaching the lost, equipping the saints, and living in community together, okay? So how can we as a church sort of uh, uh, do this collectively? And then how do we as individuals also partake in this, really thinking that this is not unique unique to the well. Like what we're laying out here isn't just like the well's mission statement per se. It really is and should be the mission statement of every church. They may just word it a little bit differently. And it really therefore should be the mission statement of every individual Christian about how they can live out the gospel in their life. Okay. So firstly, reaching the lost, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, as you're turning there, this very, very familiar passage, okay, this is, uh, according to Matthew, the last thing that Jesus said in Matthew's account, all right? And so Matthew uh, 28, we pick it up in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So uh, as we're looking at this familiar passage, we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but we think that the way that you make the most of Jesus, the way that you uh, exalt Christ mainly is by doing what what he said to do, right? Like by obeying him. And so if we love Jesus, scripture says, then we'll keep his commandments. John 15 tells us. And so we have many, many different commandments that are laid out throughout scripture, but there seems to be some that are uh, uh, really uh, uh, highlighted or they're focused on more so by Jesus than many other commandments. And so this text is one of the main texts that we have heard about before. We call it the Great Commission as a church. And so uh, uh, this is where Jesus focuses on, hey, how do you go out into the world and really highlight or exalt my name collectively. And so we say that reproducing disciples, the first piece of it is reaching the lost. All right. And why do we say that? Because for most Christians who are familiar with the term or the word disciple, what we often think of is an older believer kind of pouring into a younger believer, helping them to follow Christ. But even if you look at this passage, though we have talked about it a ton as a church, you've probably heard this preached on before. I think what's often lacking is the first piece of that great commission. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he says, go therefore and make disciples 
What's the next word? Nope. Baptizing. There we go, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Baptizing is the next word there, okay? Generally speaking, who tends to get baptized? New believers, right? Exactly. So new believers are, tend to be the ones that are getting baptized. Now, sometimes there are older believers who are uh, 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 being uh, uh, submissive and obedient to the will and command of God, but often speaking, it is new believers who get baptized. And so Jesus says, go make disciples, and then he says, baptizing people. So it seems to be in Jesus's understanding of discipleship that it actually begins long before the person actually has professed Christ as King and Lord of their lives, but it actually begins all the way back even before the person actually knows who Jesus is. You can make disciples of those who do not yet know Christ yet. My dad was discipling me way before I got saved. I am discipling my daughters right now, though they do not know Jesus. I am discipling my neighbors and other people who I'm reaching out to. I am being spiritual, trying to help them see and figure out who Jesus is. This starts long before conversion, okay? And so it seems clear that uh, uh, the Great Commission or reaching the lost, reaching all the nations is one of the main commands of Jesus. And just so we can be clear on that, let's fast forward to the Gospel of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark is the next gospel. And uh, go to chapter 16 there. Um, and this is the last thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. So Mark chapter 16, I'm going to pick it up in verse 15 here. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Verse 16 isn't on the screen, but I'll read this too. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So here we go in the Gospel of Mark. This is Jesus's kind of last words to his disciples. He lays out this command, go into all the world and make sure everybody hears about Jesus and make sure that they follow me, they're baptized, that they then begin to do everything that I command. If you look, Jesus says a couple of extra things there in the Gospel of Mark, but all he's saying is, here's how you know that I will be with you. In Matthew, he says, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. That's the last thing he said. In Mark, he says, here's how you know I'll be with you. Here's some signs that accompany my presence. But all in all, we see the same exact command given, okay? Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 1. So Luke is the gospel writer of the very next gospel, okay? But Luke's gospel is kind of a twofold gospel, if you will. One piece of it is found in Luke's, and then he follows up in the book of Acts. And so in Acts chapter 1, these are Jesus' last words according to the gospel of Luke, all right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Just so that you know, in verse 9 it says, And when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the last thing Jesus said, all right? According to Luke, right? If you're taken up out of a cloud, nothing, unless he's screaming down from the cloud, right? And so in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and all the, what we call synoptic gospels, we see that Jesus' last command, or what the gospel writers wanted us to see and understand, was that they wanted the whole world to know who Jesus was. They wanted to make sure that every man, every woman, every child had an opportunity to hear about the good news of Jesus and the impact that he could have on their life. Jesus' mission to the church and to the individual seems pretty clear to me. It's the last thing he says. He's emphasizing it over and over and over again. And I think it's very clear because as you look at Jesus's life, he made it clear that he cared so deeply about the whole world knowing who he was. 
In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus said. I came, the Son of Man, me, Jesus, I came to seek and to save the lost. People who do not yet know me, people who are wandering, trying to figure out what eternity, what life means, I have come that I may seek them out and find them and that they may come to me. Jesus' own mission was that. Go to uh, back one book to John. So John chapter 10, John actually doesn't end with a great commission, if you will, but John's letter is probably flooded with more evangelism and outreach than any other letter. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about being a shepherd. And if you think about what a shepherd does to sheep, we see that this is one of the things that Jesus wants to do. And look here, starting in verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is calling out to others who are not in the fold yet to come into his care, and on and on we can go, but it's clear all throughout scripture that the commands of Christ for us as a church and Christ in his own life was serious about trying to reach out to those who do not yet know Jesus, and therefore we as a church, when we try to reflect and represent Christ, need to do the same thing. Not just sit in Bible studies and kind of build ourselves up as Christians, though that is a good thing. And also not just be focused on good works only, because good works without the gospel means nothing because this world is perishing. There is an eternal life that comes after this life is done. And so good works happen as the believer uh, uh, is impacted with, the, with who Jesus is and his heart is changed, but there's something more than just good works or just Bible study. There has to be a reaching of the people who do not yet know Christ component of every individual Christian's life and of every single church's life to become fully alive like we were created to be. That's what God's goal is, and we need to partake in that goal. To not reach out, okay, to others would turn the church from a hospital, which is what it's supposed to be, to a country club for Christians. And nobody likes country clubs (laughs) unless you're in them, right? Right? Am I telling the truth? Like nobody, or maybe you don't uh, not like them, but you don't really care about them. You don't really care what's going on. You don't really care what they're doing in the community. You don't really care about anything that's going on unless you're a part of it. We as a church are supposed to be a hospital where we can all come and find spiritual healing to when our souls begin to cry out, there's something more in this world that I'm not fully getting. There's something that I'm missing. The church can say, man, come on in. And the individual Christian is supposed to be that too. Hence, why we are commanded with hospitality. Hospitality and hospital have the same root word, right? We are called to be a welcoming people that bring in those who need to be welcomed, okay? Now, here's the deal. Some of you in here, okay, may not even know Christ yet. You're still kind of seeking and trying to figure out who Jesus is, and that's glad. I'm really glad that you're here, but I know that oftentimes when you talk about evangelism and here's what we're supposed to do as a church and and what Jesus' mission is, it can feel kind of weird because it can almost feel project-oriented, okay? And let me just contend with you that I don't think that's true at all. In fact, let me contend with you this. I think that every single person in here is an evangelist. Every single person in here, you evangelize things that you care about. Let me give you an example. Who loves being around the person that just entered into a brand new relationship or they really, 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 really like somebody and they're not in a relationship yet? Anybody like being around those people? (laughs) 
You know why you don't really like being around them? Because they always talk about that other person, right? It's like, man, Usain Bolt's fast. It's like, oh, well, well, well Johnny actually once almost beat Usain Bolt. It's like, <laughs> no, what? <laughs> you know? Oh, man, he's so smart. Oh, Johnny has his doctorate. Like, you try to find ways to integrate because you want to talk about them. What are you doing? You're evangelizing Johnny. Look at how great Johnny is. Like, I want you to affirm him. I want you to see and to even affirm me and my like of him right? Or maybe relationships is bad. So think about something really simple like uh, barbecue, right? Don't you evangelize barbecue, okay? Like you're like, oh, 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 uh, 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 a little barbecue is the best barbecue. And the other person's like, you're tripping, bro. Like Franklin's is the best barbecue, right? And some people are like, oh, Black's is the best barbecue. I had to mention Black's because we have a Black's family in here. It is good, by the way, right? But like you start trying to evangelize barbecue, right? Oh, look at how good this brisket is. No, you, you got to try this sauce and you try over and over again. If you're a vegetarian and you can't relate with that analogy, repent and believe in meat, right? I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> I get in trouble every time I say that. I don't know why I always do that. Uh, don't email me. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Now, here's the deal, though, okay? Here's the deal. You cannot evangelize something that you have not consumed yourself, right? Any of you that have ever uh, been, not, not been to Franklin's, evangelized Franklin's, you can't. You don't know what it's like. You can pretend and act like you know what it's like. Like, oh, yeah, Franklin's is really good. And like, oh, what'd you get? The brisket. <laughs> right? Like, but in order to evangelize something, you have to at least consume it, at least on a somewhat periodic or, or, or basis of some sort, right? Like, let me tell you for real, I had La Barbecue about four years ago. To be honest, I remember that it was good, but I don't really remember a whole lot about it. You know why? Because it was four years ago. I've had two kids since then, right? <laughs> like, so like, I don't fully remember. So oftentimes I think that's where we are with Jesus as believers is that as we forget to consume of Jesus, as we forget to taste and see how good he is, we're slow to evangelize because we haven't eaten the good meat that Jesus is, right? We, we haven't consumed of him. It says, taste and see it, the Lord is good. This is why we started with exalt last week. As we as a people are more Christ-centered and as we are more gospel-oriented in our own individual lives and in our church, we will naturally become proclaimers of who Jesus is. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says that the love of Christ compels us or controls us. As we know the love of Christ, as it integrates in our hearts, as it stirs up our affection for him, we naturally talk about who Jesus is. And so I think that's one piece is why we start with exalt is because we say, hey, we want to share about Jesus. Well, man, we need to love Jesus. We need to be consumed with him. But reaching the lost is clear what we're supposed to do. And we are all evangelists. We just evangelize what we think is best. If we remember how good Jesus is, if we remember how best times infinity Jesus is, we'll be more natural to talk about him. Even more, I think it works the other way too. As we obey Christ more, then we will naturally fall more in love with him. So I think it also works in the reverse, right? Let me give you another example. So say my marriage, okay? As I obey the covenant that I have with Natalie, I will more naturally fall in love with Natalie. Now, I'm not just saying obey the covenant like commit adultery type thing. I'm saying things like if I choose today to go home and to sacrifice for my wife, today I may not really want to sacrifice, 
right? Long day, business meeting, preaching, had a meeting beforehand. Maybe I don't really want to go home and do the dishes. But as I choose to sacrifice, will my heart not more naturally fall in love with my bride so that later in the future, sacrifice becomes easier and easier and easier, and it even becomes kind of natural, See, it works in the reverse way too, where as we become obedient to Christ, because we love him, then naturally we will start doing what he's called us to do, not in a legalistic, self-righteous way. We know that we need Jesus desperately. And so even our obedience is a sign of our need for Jesus that more people would come to know who he is. Amen? And so this works both ways. As we fall more in love with Christ, as we're obedient to Christ, naturally, we want to tell people about how beautiful Jesus is. Because listen, friends, even if you're seeking Christ, Jesus is freaking awesome. And I tell my church that I want them to share with you the reason why they maybe invited you to church today, the reason why they're sharing about who Jesus is, because he is good. And they have tasted that themselves too. Jesus is good. He is beautiful. He makes us come to life. Let me actually say it like this. I know what it was like not to be a believer. I came into Christ a lot later than a lot of people normally do, okay? And so I remember what it was like not knowing Jesus. Knowing what I know today, I would want you to do whatever the heck you could do to tell me about Jesus. Even if it made you look foolish, even if I came and mocked you and laughed at you, please tell me about Jesus. Like knowing what I know today, I wanna know about God because he's so good. Now that I've seen, now that I've tasted, now that I get to walk in Christ, I want everybody to walk in that, right? Well, Jesus does too. That's why he says, talk about me. Jesus says, I have sheep. I want them in my fold. I want to take care of them. I want to shepherd them. Man, talk about me. Talk about me. And so the first thing that I think a a church is supposed to do is to share with Jesus and share about Jesus with him on mission with him and about him that people may come to know him. And so we need to do this as a church. That's why last year we had two different evangelism trainings and we'll have more that comes up. That's why we make such a big deal of baptisms and hearing about new life in Christ. That's why we start in missional communities. That's why we have many different people who go out and do all sorts of different types of evangelism. That's why we talk about it at least once a month in community groups because we think that to know Jesus, there's nothing better than that, that that is a life pinnacle, that that is what we were created to do is to know and love this Savior who loves us so desperately and dearly. Jesus is awesome, and we need to remember that, and we need to walk in that, both collectively as individuals and corporately as a body of Christ, okay? However, it doesn't just stop with the lost. And unfortunately, for a lot of individuals and a lot of churches, that's where we kind of stop, right? We say, how many people came to Christ? How many people came to Christ? And that becomes our focus about people coming to know Jesus. But there's a second piece, right? In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore into all nations, uh, or, or go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to a second piece. He says, teaching them to obey what? All. There's a second piece of this great commission where Jesus doesn't just want us to come into relationship with him. He wants us to dive as deep as humanly possible into who he is, that we would actually understand all of the commands of Jesus and be submissive to all of those because he knows that's where life is. And so he says, everything that I command does he want us. Go to Ephesians chapter four. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, it says Paul's letter, he's writing to the church. And as you're turning there, like we, we, we don't just want to be a, a people or a body that only celebrate new life. No, we want to celebrate depth of life too as people draw deep in their love for God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the full or the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see what Paul's doing here? Till we all attain full maturity, the full measure of manhood, the completeness in Christ. He's trying to draw out all these different analogies, right? We want to be full, complete, whole, perfect people in Jesus. This is why the church exists. This is why you have been given certain gifts, not to be selfish with them, but rather to pour into others that they might be built up, that the church might be whole and complete. Jesus's goal is not just salvation, but it's also sanctification. Or it's not just justification, it's also sanctification, that we would know and grow in this love of Christ. God wants us to be complete. There's a bunch of other New Testament verses on that, okay? But the building up of the body is a clear second charge of Jesus. And so we can walk through that now. Here's the deal. Discipleship, I think, is a very uh, interesting term in our culture, okay? If you've been at the church for a while, you've heard the term disciple or discipleship or something like that. If you've been through covenant community, if you've been through first steps, then you have heard the multiplication principle, 2 Timothy 2.2, how, how we can really reach out to even the whole world, not through programs. Those don't help in the long run, but rather through discipleship as we individually get with people and help them build and grow grow deep in their love for Christ, this is what is important, is multiplication. So one of the goals of discipleship is multiplication, okay? Now, um, I want to quickly define discipleship, and then I want to talk about how it can actually play out in our lives, because I have an inkling about how most of us feel about discipleship. So discipleship is simply being intentionally spiritual with someone, trying to help them take their next step spiritually, so it's being intentionally spiritual with someone. I'm, I'm purposely going to talk about spiritual things with you. And then I'm going to think about how can I help you take your next step spiritually. This is why you can disciple people who don't yet know Christ. As I am intentionally thinking about Micaiah, I think, how can I help teach her that she could pray to God whenever she wants? And so we'll be playing. I say, hey, let's, let's pray. You know, and she starts learning how to pray. Or, or she says, hey, how come Jesus had to die? I'm like, please ask that question to me every day, daughter, <laughs> right? And I start trying to disciple her. Or as my neighbor says, man, why do you do that? And I get to share a little bit of how Christ has changed me. I'm being intentionally spiritual, thinking about how I can help them take their next step. That's true with a believer too, though. As I pour into my friend, my brother, my, my wife, or, or as I let them pour into me, then all of a sudden they can be intentionally spiritual with me and help me take my next step. Here's what I think happens, though. We hear the word discipleship, and we think, I-, I can't do that. I don't even know how to spell discipleship, <laughs> right? And so we think that we have to be the Usain Bolts of discipleship, a cape flying behind our back, in order to uh, uh, pour into other people. And so because of that, because we have that thought, what I think a lot of us do is we kind of put ourselves on the bench rather than getting in the game because we're afraid of discipleship. We think that we have to be superheroes in the faith, okay? One of the goals of discipleship is multiplication. That is true. Can I tell you what a second goal is that nobody ever talks about? A second goal of discipleship is friendship, okay? Intentional friendship. 
Go to John chapter 15, because I know some of you are like, what? Never heard that. John chapter 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. Okay, remember who he's talking to, his disciples. And it's starting in verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Why? For, I, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. So if part of discipleship is helping one understand all that Jesus commanded, the great commission to, to uh, uh, know everything that he commanded and to obey that, Jesus says, all that I have from the father, I have made known to you. Isn't that the same thing he's saying? Look, all these commands of me, everything that I know, everything that I know about spirituality, I make it known to you. And because I've made that known to you, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. I call you friends, right? You see where I'm going with this? He goes on and says he wants them to uh, bear fruit, to observe everything that he has, to be baptized, to be a Christian, to grow in Christ. And so if Matthew 28 says we should go make disciples because we teach them to observe everything, and if here Jesus is saying, I have taught you to observe everything, that's why I call you friends, then it seems like that friendship is actually a piece of discipleship. So let's do this. What if we remove this Christianese word of discipleship and we just throw it away for a little bit, all right? And we can keep it so we can have easy language, okay? But what if instead we switched it to say intentional friendship? Would that make some of you more ready to get in the game? Because you could be intentionally friendly to somebody else. You can be a friend like to other people, right? Like you can, does that make you feel more qualified to disciple? Because ultimately we think that's one of what discipleship is. A true friend will walk with somebody and help them fall more head over heels in love with Jesus. Like that's what a friend will do, okay? In fact, here's what I did. I was thinking about this and this week I went through and I said, who would I probably consider my top 10 friends, all right? Don't ask if you're on that list or not, okay? <laughs> right, but who would, I, who would I consider? And out of who I would consider my top 10 friends, eight of them I have either discipled or they have discipled me. And what I mean by that is I've been the one more intentional about drawing out spiritual things or they have been the one more intentional about drawing out spiritual things in me. But literally, these are some of my best friends. And so wouldn't you say this is one of the goals of discipleship? For those of you who are in the game, who do try to pour into others, don't you find that those who you're pouring into end up kind of being your best friends? And so discipleship, like Jesus is calling them friends, literally, that, that you and the person would both have an overwhelming love for Jesus. Like, man, that is one of the goals here. Remember the sermon on friendship a few months ago? Actually, remember that sermon? Some of you are like, no, please don't call on me. All right, it's okay, right? But we talked about friendship. That was one of the things. We said biblical friendship is being steadfast, sympathetic and straightforward or steadfast you're always there for the person sympathetic you understand where they are and you you help relate to them and and straightforward you tell the truth to them and you help them well isn't that what friendship is being there for someone right like 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 understanding where they're at and helping them uh, uh move toward their next steps isn't that what discipleship is being there for someone understanding where they're at spiritually helping them take that next step of faith 
like friendship and discipleship kind of go hand in hand. So here's what I would love to think of as a church. As a church, I would love to think, man, who can I be intentional in my friendships with? Like, who can I walk with somebody with and say, man, I don't really even know how to do this fully, but I want to love Jesus more and I want you to love Jesus more. So can we do this together? And that may seem awkward at first, right? It's like you're asking somebody out on a date. It's okay. You got to do that, right? Like if you want a relationship, you got to do that. So what if we did that with our discipleship relationships or intentional friendships? All of a sudden, we can start seeing multiplication. So we talked a ton about discipleship at many other times in this church. And if you've been in classes, you've heard it. If you're going to be in classes, you will hear it. But I want to set a new mind frame amongst us to try to help some of us get off the bench and say, man, let's go do it. Like, you can make disciples. I know you've only been following Jesus for six weeks, so your love for Jesus sometimes seems more real than my love for Jesus. I need you to talk to me about him. Like, like I need you to talk to my friend about him because you just came out of it. I've been, out of, I've been, I've been in this for, for decades, right? Like, a long time. Like, man, maybe you can relate more. Like, so all of a sudden, we start seeing discipleship as holistic, okay? So I'm off my notes completely, but that's okay. As we exalt Christ, okay, we can do this with others. And so what would it look like for you to be intentional with, say, just two or three people this year? Your neighbor, other people at church, people in your community group, that you would say, man, can we just follow Jesus together? Can we spur one another on toward loving Jesus? And maybe you are the slightly more mature one. Maybe you've been walking with Christ longer. Sweet, disciple the other person. Maybe it's mutual and you guys can edify one another. Man, that's awesome. But we want to be reproducing uh, disciples and that happens in relationships. Okay, let's finish. Last one, Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 10. The third one is to live in community, all right? The third piece of of how do we reproduce disciples? Uh, uh, What does that look like? What does this disciple piece look like? The third one is to live in community. Hebrews chapter 10, pick it up in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider is the word. Like we have to think about, that's intentionality that we just talked about, right? Like, let us consider, how can I help you love Jesus more? How can I stir up your affections for Jesus? But we can't neglect to meet together. This happens when we're in community with one another. See, if I never see you, how can I stir up your heart's affections for Jesus? If you don't know what's going on in my heart and my life, how can you preach the gospel to me? You don't know me. And so we have to meet with one another to have that happen. Go back a couple of chapters to Hebrews chapter 3. He talks about this again earlier in the book. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, he says this, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Okay, pause. When is it not called today? Right? Like you philosophy majors, all right, go ahead, shout it out, right? Like, Like tomorrow when we're actually there will be today. And yesterday when we were there is today. What is he saying? Every day that you are alive, every day that you are living, this needs to happen, he says. Well, what is it? We'll go back, read it again. Exhort one another every day. Exhort each other, okay? As long as it is called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me go ahead and put that in how we normally speak in English, all right? You will be hardened by sin if you don't meet together. 
That's what that's saying, right? Sin is more tricky than you are spiritual. Sin is more effective at your heart, which is, by the way, deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17 tells us. Sin is more tricky than you are spiritual, so you need other people that you may not become hardened by sin. If you are not in a community, you will be hardened by sin. There's nothing else to say about that. In fact, as elders, one of the things that we do is about once a month, we look through everybody who's a covenant member. And the one question that we ask is not, are they reading their Bible? Are they praying? Are they uh, playing worship music while they're driving on 35 and not cussing out the people in front of them? Like, that's not what we're thinking about, right? We're saying, are they in community? Do they know other people? Because I can't tell you how many times my heart has tried to deceive me And somebody comes in and preaches a gospel truth to me. See, when my heart's being tricky, I don't go open up the Bible. (laughs) My heart's already deceiving me, right? I don't go and go, oh, holy father. I start praying like, no, I need somebody to come in and say, hey, bro, what are you doing? And I need them to exhort me, to encourage me. You need to live in community. Let's put it like this. The Christian life is not one that's done in private. If you want to be a disciple yourself and if you want to make other disciples, that happens in the context of a community. You need other believers in this life. Lest you think that you are so strong that you would not fall away. Let me remind you that that's never been true of anyone in scripture. I mean, even the son of God. If somebody didn't need community, wouldn't it have been Jesus? Yet even he is always around his disciples. These men who are kind of imbeciles sometimes, can we be honest, right? Like they're asking him crazy things. They're saying crazy things. And he puts himself amongst them always and even allows them to encourage him. In fact, at his greatest time of need, he says, will you guys please pray for me? I'm gonna go pray to the father. Will you please please pray for me? And like bad friends, they fell asleep. (laughs) right? But he put himself amongst community. If the son of God needs community, what makes you think that you don't? I mean, so like, can you show up at church, right? Like, like, can you be involved in in a group, in some sort of group, a community group, a missional community? Maybe maybe you can't make those. Maybe your schedule isn't a lot. That's okay. Can you like do some sort of Bible study in the morning with some guys? Can, Can you do something that'll get you involved in community so that other people may stir up your heart's affections for Jesus? Let me tell you what happened to me this week, literally this week. Uh, I'm sitting in Thunderbird, okay? It's a Wednesday afternoon or morning, actually, and I'm meeting with Sam Ferries, and me and Sam were talking about stuff, and man, I got so freaking jazzed about Jesus after meeting with him, because we were just talking about the gospel, and we were saying how much we need Jesus as sinners, how, how good Christ is, and we just kept talking about Jesus over and over and over again, and then I look over my right shoulder, and I see Amanda Henry sitting there, and she's sitting there, and I thought, man, Amanda's awesome. In fact, at our elder meeting last week, we were talking about how awesome Amanda is. She uses her gifts in all these different ways to build up the church. She's grown so much. Her growth with the Lord makes me remember about how much I need to stay rooted in Christ that I too may grow with the Lord. And then I look next to her and her husband, Chris, is there with her. And they're all snuggling up while Chris is supposed to be working, but that's all right. right? <laughs> and I remember Chris's friendship in my life and how he asked me hard questions sometimes, asked me, 
Hey, how are you trusting in God this week? Hey, hey, are you working too much? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what have you been reading in the word? And, and Chris is killing it for the church, like working for us. And then I get up to go leave to go to another meeting and I see uh, Amanda Juilliard and she's sitting there and, and she's a new member to this church, right? And uh, last week she gave me a prayer book because I saw it on her face. I said, man, it looks really cool. And so I used that prayer book last week to kind of pray and it was different than I had done it before and it was pretty interesting. And then I'm leaving and I say bye to Cameron who blesses us with her worship and who every time she sees me has seen something else awesome in scripture that makes me feel like JV sometimes. I'm like, man, I, I want to know the word like she does. I want to dive deep like she is. And she gives me free lattes, which is a spiritual act of worship. All right. <laughs> right? Now, all this happens, right? Which I, by the way, just love seeing, right? Uh, this little church all in one kind of space at once. Now, by itself, are any one of those individual things enough to keep me? Like if I had only met with Sam, that's the only thing I do for my month, let's say, am I running this race with Jesus? If I only allow Amanda to serve the church, if I only allow Chris to ask me questions, no, all of them by themselves are not enough. But as you add all those together and then multiply them by this meeting this morning and, and the children's meeting that I had this morning and the business meeting afterwards and the things you say to me and the way you let me pour into you and you pour into me. And as all this starts coming together, I might be able to make it in this Christian race. You need each other. You need us if you might want to make it in this Christian race, don't become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Plug into community. We need each other, okay? We need each other. All of these things, evangelism, equipping, community, like isn't Jesus the ultimate example and fulfillment of every single one of these things? See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We already see that. But even more than that, Jesus became lost that you who were lost might be found in him when Jesus is on the cross and he's looking out for God the Father and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He no longer has this relationship with God. He is lost. Why? So that every single one of us who at some point were lost can be found by the Savior, Jesus. Jesus had perfect community with the Trinity, did he not? The God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit existed in perfect unity, but Jesus lost that community. Why? So that you and I who should have complete an inability to actually get along together may actually be reconciled in faith with each other to become brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus lost his community with the Trinity that you may have community with each other. Read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 if you don't see that right? Like this is clearly laid out in the gospel. So Jesus is our example and our fulfillment of every single one of these things. And that's why we as a people want to walk in that example. Friends, let us be about reproducing disciples. That means reaching the lost man. Who has God put in your heart? Even when we were talking this morning, what if you were bold? What if you tried to make much of Jesus by reaching the lost, reproducing disciples? Who can you pour into? Where are you trying to escape community? No, dive deep. In order to be known fully, in order to be loved fully, you have to be known fully, right? If you want to be loved fully, you have to be known fully. I know that's scary because you're messed up in some ways. Man, so am I. We need each other that we may see the fullness of who Christ is. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you for finding us. I thank you, Jesus, for finding me when I was a sinner, 
when I was running from you, when I was saying crazy things, when I had wanted nothing to do with you, God, you came down and you found. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for the men and women in this church who love me, my family, so freaking well that they help me sustain. God, would we do that for one another? Would you please help us as a body to sustain and to live in community, to, to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near? God, would you help us to be serious about finding the sheep that are not yet in your fold? Jesus, you died that men and women would come to know you. Would you help us as a body and as individuals to be serious about that? God, I pray that in your grace and in your goodness, even right now, God, even on a sermon where we halfway talk about evangelism half the time, God, that there are men and women who may not fully know you as King and Lord. God, I pray even right now you would show yourself to be beautiful to them, that to know you is where life is and that they would choose today to follow you, Jesus. God, we love you. I thank you for this family. I thank you for this body. Would we continue to make much of you, Jesus, by reproducing disciples? Praise in your very wonderful name. Amen.